Welcome to The Five Things This Week in Social, the podcast that searches for the top stories in social that need a deeper look. We then narrow it down to just five so that you can sound smart for the week ahead. If you are a marketer, an advertiser, a creator, or an influencer, you are in the right place. Today's show is episode 150. It's truly remarkable to think that we have done 150 episodes of this podcast and that we have been bringing you the latest and greatest in social and digital media since 2019. That is approximately 750 things in the last three and a half years. But enough about the past. Let's talk about the show today. We welcome back to the pod our friends Kylie McDonald and Jessica Womack. Hello, Jess. Hello, Joey. It is so great to be here. Jess, I got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? What is your favorite musical? Whoa, that is a divisive question. Because I feel like people are going to judge me. But to be the true, basic, early 2000s girly that I am, I'm probably going to say Rent. I'm probably going to say, you know, 5,000, 2,500. 600,000 million minutes. I actually don't remember the lyrics, but I promise you it is my favorite musical. Well, that fits right in with it. me. I was just saying how many things we've talked about in the last couple of years. So I like it. Boom. Boom. Rent for the win. And Kylie. Hello, Kylie. Hello. How's it going today? It's going great. Same question for you. Do you have a favorite musical? I wouldn't say I have a favorite musical. I just moved to New York City. So that's like an evolving taste, I'd say. But I just went and saw Hades Town on Broadway. And that was great. Hades Town is really good. Yeah, definitely a good show. Okay. I'm Joey Scarillo, and, you know, as a theater major, I have so many favorite musicals, but I'm going to sort of not answer the question, but tell you all to watch Schmigadoon on Apple TV Plus because it is like an amalgamation of all the musicals and it's brilliant. Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key are in it. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. Okay, now on to the five things. First up, Kylie chats about the skepticism rising around ByteDance's new Lemon 8. Then Jess explains how we might be in the Twitter flop era. Kylie gets into Meta's verification launch. And then Jess talks about TikTok offering a FYP reset. And finally, Kylie breaks down title going live. Okay, lots to talk about. Let's jump right in. Kylie, talk to us about ByteDance and what's a lemonade. So Lemonade is an emerging social app aimed at the Gen Z type audience. It's trying to take on fan favorite elements from other platforms to build what could be a Frankenstein contender under ByteDance leadership. And we say that because ByteDance has already invited individual creators to be early adopters of the app and actually soft launch it recently in the US, but kind of showing the hand of ByteDance and Lemonade because it's resulting in a need for further monetization on the app, which we will get into. But overall, we say it's going to be a Frankenstein app because it's going to take elements such as polished photos that we sometimes see on Instagram, a focus on lifestyle products and categories that we'd see on Pinterest, and then leading the way with a For You page algorithm similar to TikTok. But again, there doesn't seem to be a clear way to monetize any of the above yet, even though it is a creator-led platform so far. So that's definitely one quirk that the company needs to work out still. And then going back to kind of the whole ByteDance leadership 
controversy. So there's a clear connection between Lemonade and TikTok. And that's been growing in the weeks since, you know, the TikTok CEO was grilled in front of Congress. And so everyone's a little bit skeptical of, do we want that TikTok and ByteDance connection to Lemonade or not? But the jury is still out on that for sure, despite the fact that the strategic lead on the app is from ByteDance and most of the employees, if you go into their LinkedIn pages for Lemonade, used to work at TikTok or currently still have that overlap. So still kind of murky waters on the leadership of this platform, but it is a creator marketplace still. It's creator-led, which could lead to a bit of oversaturation of creators on the platform if organic users don't start to get on there. We'll see as it develops. I have not really spent any time on this app. I think when I heard about it, I downloaded it quickly to make sure I could get my username. But Jess, does this feel like, I don't know, another app that we use quite often to you? Uh, Just a little bit. It won't be named. But I do think that... You can name it. I mean, I think that the unfortunate truth is that because social media is so inherently tied to pop culture, the platforms themselves are not immune to becoming cringe, outdated, and not interesting anymore. Unlike any other medium, like, I guess you could say, I don't know, as soon as I said that, maybe not, because you could argue that TV is a little, like, not interesting. But compared to Sorry, I hate to break it to you. I think streaming, I, I'm sorry. I think streaming is the more interesting version of TV, of broadband. Okay, okay. I, I understand. I, I will accept the difference there. I made a face, listener, you <laughs> couldn't see it, but, you know, because I just talked about Schmigadoon. But no, I do I do see the difference between television and streaming. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. With you. And, but I mean, even in a more hyper-focused sense, I think that there is such like an inherent tie from Facebook to pop culture and TikTok to pop culture that they take on the risk of being the the reward of being really hot and trendy and then the risk of becoming not interesting. And unfortunately, I think Instagram is on the decline and we will see whether or not Lemonade is able to pick up speed. I mean, it is interesting, right? I mean, it's so often that meta Instagram, Facebook, they are stealing or borrowing from other platforms, but it feels like ByteDance might be doing the same thing here, but may have a winner. So we'll see. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. I got a feeling this will not be the last time we talk about Lemonade, right? Yeah, for sure. I think we're about to enter our Lemonade phase where we talk about it every single week and all the things that they do. Speaking of phases and eras, I think we're entering a new one for Twitter, one that we are affectionately calling the flop era. Jess, why don't you tell us about what's going on over it? Twitter. Yeah, I can't wait. Question for you guys. What do LeBron James, Jack Black, and the New York Times have in common? They all have more followers than me. Oh, that is correct. That is a correct answer. But do you have a guess, Kylie? No. Aren't they all in the news right now? Mm, well, sure. Okay, I wasn't thinking, <laughs> cool. I wasn't banking on both of you guys having good answers, but... The truth answer that I was going to say is that all of them have very publicly proclaimed that they, no matter how hard Elon Musk tries, will not be buying into Twitter Blue subscription. And that is going to be part one of this story, is that very long story short, Elon Musk has been really pushing Twitter Blue and threatening everyone and their mom on the app that if you don't subscribe to this 8 to $11 monthly subscription fee, you will lose your Twitter checkmark. We saw the dumpster fire that happened at the end of last year when they formally rolled it out and people were buying up 
Eli Lilly's handles and the handles of the president of the United States and Leonardo DiCaprio and getting check marks, even though they were impersonating the accounts. And we have seen over the last six months or so them try their hardest to create a system that prevents it and formally say that they are going to cut off legacy checkmark havers come this spring. But that time has come and gone and they have been barely able to convert 3% of previously verified users into Twitter blue. And that is not great for them, but it's also not great for the platform generally because what we're watching unfold is this very fast erosion of trust in the verified checkmark. On top of that, there is a pretty high percentage of people who have bought Twitter Blue have less than a thousand followers, which is obviously not what the intention was in this rollout feature. And on top of it, going back to the question, the riddle at the top of the segment, a lot of really important people have come out to say, I don't care what you do, I will not be paying for a blue checkmark. And that has huge implications for news organizations, for politicians, even celebrities, especially celebrities that play a hand in a lot of, you know, conversations around activism. So there is a lot to be said about the failure of Twitter Blue, but they're holding out. They are trying their best. Elon Musk posted and deleted a tweet in which he said he was going to extend grace, given that powerful people are important, essentially, and they're busy and they don't have time to cross over into Twitter blue. Um, But this was taken down, unfortunately. So, you know, we will see what happens. So that's part one. Part two is Twitter Circles was released last year as a copycat of Instagram stories, basically close friends. You are able to post tweets and images to a secluded group of folks that you know and trust. And most recently, there have been multiple instances of people finding that not only are their private tweets not staying private, but they are getting boosted in the algorithm to random people that they don't follow and don't know. So not only is this not being kept private to just your friends, like the people that you follow, it's also just actively being shown to people that you don't, you've never interacted with before. We all suspected that there was going to be some functional issues happening. That's usually what happens when you fire an entire engineering team. But I think the part that's most entertaining about this is every single article I have read about this issue has said they tried to reach out to Twitter for comment. And instead, they are just given a poop emoji as a response, because that is the standard way of talking to journalists now, given that the entire PR department was also let go. So I, for one, am thrilled at the era that Twitter is coming into, whether it's a flop, whether this is going to be like a phoenix rise of the ashes situation. And in three months, we're going to have a renewed Twitter. It is really entertaining. And I think that as a consumer, it's really entertaining. But as marketers, it's a little concerning because (laughs) a lot of our brands are on here and there's a lot of credibility to be lost. So that's what's happening with Twitter. Poop emojis. Great. (laughs) The other day I clicked on Twitter and on the desktop and I saw the Bitcoin dog. What is that? Dogecoin dog? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know what's going on over there. But I'm curious, Kylie, do you think... Going back to the first point that Jess talked about, do you think that this disdain for Twitter Blue is because of Elon? Like, is it personal? I don't know if it's personal. I think it's more out of like 
personal taste and preference for just not logically wanting to pay for something like Twitter Blue. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I don't think Elon Musk takes up enough headspace for people that it's a personal distinction. I think it's just more of taking a stand for, no, why would I pay for this? Like, I'm already important enough or something. Like, my fans know that, I know that, nobody else needs to dictate my actions. But I think that will kind of trickle down into how fans will play into this whole ordeal because fans of, say, LeBron James are going to follow whatever he wants to do. So then if any of those fans are influencers or people that should be buying that blue check mark, they're not going to because they're following suit with kind of what the standard is being set by these celebrities and important figures on Twitter. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it, maybe it's not personal, but one thing that you could put me in the same category is, is I will never pay for Twitter blue, but I've also never had a blue check mark. So I don't think Elon really cares what I think. And then to your second point, Jess, are we surprised that Circles isn't working? Do we care that Circles isn't working? Or are we just kind of sitting here eating popcorn? No, I think that we, believe it or not, even though everyone knows there's a bit of a dumpster fire happening internally over there, I think people were genuinely very surprised to find out that it wasn't working. I think that people put a lot of trust and in this same way that if you were to open up Google and not be able to search something, the sort of like shock of it being down, I think still very much exists in the same way of the day that Twitter was down for like a couple of hours. Like we are so dependent on this technology and we put so much trust in it. This is one of the first times, not in history, but this is one of the first times in a long time in which we're actively seeing our trust in technology sort of starting to erode a bit. Also too, I will say a lot of people use circles in the same way that people use close friends on Instagram, but even more so a lot of people were using it for things like if they were trans and they weren't out yet, they were talking about their experiences with other people who were trans and in especially in the same age, stuff like that is very dangerous to get out. Um, there were some people who uh, have like, if they were adult performers and they had material that they didn't want out to like their friends and family, but to people who were paying for this service, like that got out. So it was a shock for sure. And as consumers, I think people are actually very invested and surprised. Yeah, the thing has to work. Yeah. Like you can you can charge whatever you want to charge us for something that is superfluous, but the thing still has to work. And it's been working for a while. It came out yeah. last year. So it's not like this is a new feature. It's been it's been around for a while. For it to suddenly yeah. stop working, I think was a shock to folks. Hmm. All right. Well, let's now switch over to Meta. Kylie, tell us about Meta's verification launch. Yeah, so different from Twitter's verification dumpster fire, Meta is grandfathering people into their verification stuff, but it will cost you $15 on mobile, $12 on the desktop, which I think is so interesting that people still are on social media on the desktop, but it was nice of them to give you a discount as a result. So this is going to be a monthly subscription that allows Instagram and Facebook users to get that blue verification badge on their accounts. Before being approved for a meta verification subscription, users need to complete this whole like process behind it too. You even have to use your government ID for this verification, which I'm not sure is the case with Twitter. It might be, but I thought that was an interesting point that was across all the different articles about this. There was also a little bit of grievances uh, in comment sections online about the fact that you had to present a real government ID, which seems odd, seems a little bit logical. 
to want to verify yourself, but there's also two-factor authentication measures that Meta is going to be using to once again, just really secure the process overall. And meta-verified subscribers will not be able to change their profile name, photo, username, or date of birth without re-verifying themselves, which is kind of funny as well, given that so many Instagram users, especially kind of switch around their handles sometimes, which that's just a detail in the whole process, but good to note. And then overall, some see this paid system as a potential boon to influencers who consider it a way to access like features that they had no access to previously because they just didn't have the bigger following or weren't important enough yet. And now they can buy into it and really start launch a business for themselves, which is great and is great for brands to consider as they monitor certain influencers, their reach and engagement levels. Yeah, that's that's what we got on this one. <laughs> so Jess, are we sort of democratizing influence with this new service? That's such an interesting way of phrasing it. And I wish I had a more philosophical answer. But my answer is going to be no, because I think that anyone can verify themselves. It doesn't make them an influential person. It just means that they have proven that they are who they are. And what is interesting about this is I think verification is the least interesting on Facebook. And I mean, meta in general, but I think Facebook in particular, because that's where people are most likely to be themselves. Like most people sign up for things like school and like looking for an apartment and like very identity-based things. Whereas a lot of people use TikTok anonymously and a lot of people are using, I mean, I think Instagram is falling in the wayside of Facebook, but Twitter too, a lot of people would use Twitter for like Stan Twitter. Like if you are an Ariana Grande Stan fandom leader, are you going to get that verified? Like the, <laughs> there is something really interesting around found those. My, you found out my secret. I knew it was you. <laughs> I knew it was you, Joey. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I just I think that verification will only especially in a space like Facebook won't be as interesting just because, you know, you are who you are. Yeah, yeah, this will definitely this is definitely interesting for sure. All right, let's talk about other interesting things, because this one I'm just trying to wrap my head around. Just talk to me about TikTok offering an FYP reset. Yeah. Yeah. By the time this airs, there's a chance that this will be like more of a, a mainstream easily accessible feature. But for now, it is only being rolled out in a handful of spaces. Long story short, if you want to reset your for you page algorithm, you absolutely can with an easy touch of a button. TikTok is rolling this out in hopes of keeping people on the platform just because some users have reported that their algorithm is so specific, so niche that they're actually just getting repeat content. They're getting like 10, 12 TikToks back to back of the same type of content. And they're not actually engaging with the platform as much as they used to be when the algorithm was still trying to figure them out. So this button would just give you the opportunity to essentially wipe that algorithm's learned knowledge and start from fresh as if you just downloaded the app for the first time. Kylie, is this a bop or flop? <laughs> Do we love this? Oh, this is a big bop. This, I have been waiting for this for so long. I have been that user with that grievance of like, my niche is now way too small. And now it's like, I'm phasing it out, but my TikTok algorithm is not phasing it out. It kind of speaks to like this human nature of switching hobbies really often, I think, because your feed is just constantly giving you things to think about. Like now you're not changing your thinking if it's always showing you the same thing. So I have been wanting 
having to reset my For You page for like a year. Like there is ways to do it manually. Usually you just have to really use their search capabilities to make sure that happens. But not everybody's willing to go through and do that. So this is a great way to like open it up to the general user. It's not chronically online and doesn't understand the nuances of that For You page. Especially as a marketer, this is golden. If you're working across multiple accounts and need to be searching for content that's relevant to your brand, I love it. I'm right. its biggest Cause, fan. Because for us, three, <laughs> three years down the road, we'll still be getting content content from you know, brands that we used to work on or whatever. I think the hobby point is really a good one. I mean, right now, my Instagram algorithm thinks that I am like obsessed with AI. And maybe I looked at some AI stuff, but like, I'm just interested to make sure that like, you know, AI isn't going to take over podcast hosting. So I don't know. I think the whole thing is cool. I can't wait to do it on TikTok. I think we could all use a little cleanse. All right. Fifth, final thing. Kylie, talk to us about title going live. Yeah, so this is a great one for all of us that have DJ friends out there, which I feel like everyone does now. So amongst the competitive wave happening with other music app releases, Tidal announced their version of Spotify's DJ featured called Live. Instead of AI-based, it takes kind of this clubhouse approach and allows users to DJ for a group of followers and listeners. So different from Spotify's group sessions, I'd say. This is like a, I'm handing someone the aux cord and they have full control over the set for that session. So you cannot, there's not multiple users in control of any of the functions of what's being played. It's all up to one person. They are the host. You are just their fan and you're along for the ride. But just to break down the subscription costs for this, it's going to be $10 a month for the Hi-Fi version and $20 a month for Hi-Fi Plus, which seems a bit pricey for a music subscription app, in my opinion, which is going to make this a little bit more exclusive. And I wonder if there's going to be an invite-only version of it eventually that could really up the game with which creators buy into it. And then users can create a session while listening to any song or playlist by like tapping on the live button in the top right corner. And then you can name that session and share the link with your friends. So it really becomes this like token of what you've created and your expertise that you can share with everyone, which is great. I really keep making that DJ connection because it feels like it really feels like it could be a marketplace space for this in addition to like pushing great content. Also based on that, so even if you're not a title user, you can click on the link and it'll automatically ask you to do a free trial of it. So you can have that brief period where you listen to the session and not have to pay for it as long as you remember to cancel your free trial after seven days, of course. But it's not like a complete locked out of outside users, which I think is a great feature for it to have. And then in addition, share your sessions with friends and that being the way that people are invited to join the sessions. If you just buy into the platform via one of the subscriptions, the homepage within the app is going to house like a bunch of different sessions for you to choose from, which makes me wonder if they're ever going to include a for you page feature that like auto generates eventually. I don't know. It just seems like the next natural step for them if they're going to include that homepage with all the sessions or if it's going to be an invite only. We'll see. If, yeah. So do you think this is cool, Jess? Do you think people will participate in this new program from Tidal? Absolutely. I think it's cool. I wish it were free, honestly. Like I wish that there was, it was easier to just 
in the same way that like TikTok was truly free and so many of these other apps started truly free. Like I wish, I wish it was a free feature that you could use without having to subscribe to Tidal because so many people are already saturated with a, pr- a preferred music ex- like subscription or streaming service. So that's my only you know, fault is the cost barrier might be a big one. Yeah, I think this will probably be really cool for the people who are already on Tidal, but I don't know that this is going to get more people to Tidal. Yeah, truthfully, I wish that SoundCloud had done something like this because there could be, like Kylie was saying, I think there's something so interesting that could happen in that people trust other people's music taste. Could you imagine LeBron James doing some sort of like DJ set? Like people would listen to that even if we don't trust you know, we don't, we don't trust him as a DJ. Like there could be so many interesting opportunities, especially for brands too, that could be really fun. Like you could bring a bunch of different celebrities together and have them host a DJ set. There could be so many fun things. But unfortunately, I just think that the barrier of cost is going to turn people off. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Kylie? I wonder if that cost though makes it super exclusive and like elevates it in a way for the creators that can be on there. So like the level of creator, like music creators that would be on this app compared to other music buy-in subscription platforms, what have you, that will become like a known difference. And that's why this will work one day. Yeah, I agree. It's a weird barrier, but I think the exclusivity is something fun to play with. Well, if you guys try it out, let me know how it is. I am curious. Well, that does it for us today. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints, or just send us the thing you want us to talk about. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel, Jess and Kylie. And as always, I want to thank Samantha Geller, Amanda Fuentes, and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. And on our latest episode of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, we welcomed Gavin McIntyre from the mycelium materials company Ecovative. Gavin discussed the idea he and his business partner had to disrupt the global plastics industry. Check out that podcast wherever you get this podcast so that you can hear Gavin's story. And finally, you may have heard by now, but this show, The Five Things This Week in Social, is nominated for a Webby for Best Creativity and Marketing Podcast. We would so appreciate it if you would take a moment and vote for the show. The link is in the show notes. Well, that does it for us. And as always, listener, please be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. <laughs>